Welcome to the Word from the Ancient Path, Stories and Sermons for the Journey. It's a channel of blessing and encouragement for beloved friends all over the world to hear and experience how God speaks and works through ordinary people with an extraordinary calling. We bring you stories of good news, connecting in Christ, and building the kingdom, and the Word of God declared through the pastors and missionaries of Ancient Path Ministries, La Iglesia Volviendo a la Senda Antigua. Beloved listeners and friends, I am your guide, Pastor Kevin Job, and I am very happy to be with you. Our ministry was founded in 2011 by Pastors Jose Santiago and Yami Cruz in Jovianos, Cuba. And my wife, Tani, and I serve as directors and chief connection makers for the U.S. branch of the ministry. Together, we have a great team of pastors, missionaries, advisors, and kingdom servants who are dedicated to planting churches and spreading the reach of the gospel. We pray that you are blessed and inspired by these sermons, reflections, and our testimony of what God has done and is doing in and through us. Hey friends, today on the podcast, we're going to consider how the work of the Holy Spirit can give us a new spiritual spine and inspire us as disciples and as the Church of Jesus Christ to new levels of courage as we carry out our mission. One of my favorite classic hymns is the one that says, Stand up, stand up for Jesus, stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you, ye dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer. Where duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. In order to stand firm for the gospel, we will need to have a strong spine. The Twin Towers of the World Trade Center had been designed to maximize open floor space on every level. They were held up by a steel core and external steel columns. But the building's spine was not sufficiently protected from an unexpected assault. And confronted by aircraft impact and fires that followed, as we remember horribly, the upper floors collapsed, causing the rest of the structure to fall as though it were a soft stack of pancakes. The key to the strength of the replacement One World Trade Center is that it has a massive, extremely strong concrete core all the way to the uppermost stories, acting as a primary support to resist gravitation, wind, seismic loads, and This is how Jesus built his church, with a godly core of faith. In Matthew 16, verses 18 and 19, he says, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is a great moment for us to remember our mission and our identity. We, the church, are transformed people who in turn transform the world. Now, it's become quite fashionable to talk about us being the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. And that sounds nice, but the truth is the scripture never describes us that way. It calls us to something more complete. The Bible shows that the key to our strength as the church is to be the body of Christ. And his body needs every part, including a spine that might be described as massive and extremely strong at the core. So let's go hang out for a few minutes in a favorite Bible account. Uh, If you grew up in church, you've heard it and you've probably acted it out a dozen times. And even people who don't realize it's from the Bible have heard of the two main Jesse was a man with eight sons, and David was the runt of the bunch. Israel's archenemies were the Philistines, and they were constantly showing up trying to conquer and take over. It was truly an annoyance. And during one siege, seven of Jesse's sons went off to the battlefield, but David was relegated to staying home to protect the sheep. 
But the word got to Jesse that the big men in the war zone were hungry, so he dispatched David to take a pizza or some Chick-fil-A and sodas or something so that they could be energized to win the battle. And when David got there, he discovered that the mighty armies of the chosen people of God, along with their king, Saul, were frozen in terror at the sight of the Philistines' latest advance in the technology of warfare and weaponry, the giant. They called him Goliath, and he must have been pretty convincing because we still use his name for big stuff like that. The author and theologian Frederick Bugner describes Goliath like this. He says, Goliath stood 10 feet tall in his stocking feet, wore a size 20 collar and a nine and a half hat, and had a 52 inch belt. And when he got his full armor on, he not only looked like a Sherman tank, but he weighed like one. And so everybody's standing around baffled about what to do. And so the pizza delivery guy shows up and dares to question their confusion. 1 Samuel 17, 26, David says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You see, somebody needed to have a strong spine, and clearly no one else had one. The ungodly giant seemed impossible to withstand, and everyone on the scene forgot who they were. Only David remembered. He wrote about it in Psalm 27. He wrote, The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they shall stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. And though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. We love to tell this story as though it's an underdog story, but for David, there was never any doubt of the outcome. You see, David had a massive steel-reinforced concrete core. Verse 45, he says to Goliath, he says, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. He's saying, yeah, you're big and all, but God's going to give you over to me. I mean, it's his battle anyway. I'm about to cut your head off and feed your army's dead bodies to the wild animals and the scavenger birds, and then you're all going to know who. So for us, courage is a requirement for discipleship. I mean, the church today, as much as ever, needs a God-given spine at our core. In the moments of truth that we face very plainly in our present setting every day, we have to decide whether we have the spine, the courage, the massive, extremely strong core it takes to truly follow God and to stand up for Jesus while the world screams in desperation all around us. And honestly, that's more than a little scary. And that's okay. Several years ago, I was privileged to be part of an event where Pastor Crawford Loritz was the keynote speaker. And his message that day was about courage. He said this, he said, courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is a different kind of fear. If you fear God more than you do others, you will always come out courageous. Courage has to do with the direction of your fear, not with the fact of fear. We are all scared. Think about it. I mean, think about what Jesus demands of disciples. He says, follow me. Come be my disciples. Oh, and I'm homeless, and you'll be insulted, and your reputation will be shot, and, um, you know, you can't go back and say goodbye. Let the dead bury their own. Oh, and do not even look back. And if that doesn't instill at least a little fear in you, you are not normal, my friend. Discipleship is intensely but courageous disciples who are changed from the inside out stand up. There are so many great accounts of strong backbones in the book of Acts. 
I mean, for example, the Apostle Paul actually once went back into a town where they had stoned him. And when the early church was threatened by the giants around them, they prayed this way in Acts chapter 4, verse 29. They said, and now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. They didn't wring their hands, complain that the government was corrupt or stage a protest. Instead, they called on the Lord for holy boldness, for his healing wonders, and God gave them what they asked for. They had a faith at their core like David in the face of the giant Goliath. We're going to take a moment now for a short break. Stay with us for more on the ancient in Ancient Path Ministries, our greatest hope is to carry the light of the kingdom of God into places where it is most needed. We want to see people set free from what holds them captive and offer salvation in Christ to people lost in darkness. We want to live as examples, the oaks of righteousness planted to display God's splendor. Now, our ministry is built on connections in Christ and our financial foundation depends on the regular partnership of beloved friends such as you. If you'd be interested in becoming a covenant financial partner or just contribute to the work of the ministry, invite you to visit our website, ancientpathministries.org. Check out the church in action and see how you can be a part of bringing good news, connecting in Christ, and building the kingdom. And we are back. So we need to assess the condition of our spinal column. You see, without a God-rendered core, we're like the people of Israel in David's time. We forget who we are. Our hearts deceive us and they melt in fear, and we will take any shape that the culture foists on us. Pastor Crawford Loritz sees postmodern culture as a diagnosis of disconnectedness. He says people are unable to make decisions or choices for the fear of standing alone. We're, we're afraid of conviction. David stood up in that moment. Loritz says we continue to sow into the next generations this confusion and disconnect and fear of principle under the guise of political correctness, the guise of just affirming one another, of not judging one another, and it all sounds so very wonderful. But it doesn't rattle the gates of hell or set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. All it does is it pacifies and anesthetizes. And for several generations, this is what the North American church has been. We have been, in my own words, God's ecclesia, his gathered salvation army with its fear in the wrong place. Remember the words of David, Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? So we're gonna take a little time right now and consider the ways in which we, God's holy gathering, misplace our... And the first thing is that we fear our own brokenness. I mean, we don't even dare face it. And, and I understand why. Uh, my pastor often talks about the risk of quoting living theologians in his sermon because you never know when one of them's going to fall. Dead theologians can be risky too. I mean, the guy who slayed the giant is the same David who had a good friend killed so he could cover up his own infidelity with the man's wife. And so there's risk in our brokenness. There's a risk of being a living follower of Christ or theologian or a teacher because we are sometimes broken as individuals, and too many broken individuals can break a church. 
And then we fear addressing sin. And honestly, this is a huge issue in our culture. It's an ominous giant in the church. You know, we're not supposed to speak about our materialism or our greed or our stinginess or our sloth or our workaholism. And we aren't supposed to speak about our lust or our sexual sin or our drunkenness or addiction or our prejudice and underlying bias. We aren't supposed to speak of our lying or cheating and manipulation that lead to broken relationships in all areas of our lives. We're, we're not supposed to mention our smugness or our arrogance and false bravado or our own idols or failures. We aren't supposed to talk about our apathy regarding people in need or victims of injustice. I actually once heard a pastor say from the pulpit that Jesus died so that we could be nicer to each other. And you know what? No one there objected. Listen, if we aren't calling people to repentance and to a saving relationship with Christ, then the resulting lack of the Holy Spirit's power in our faith communities should come as no surprise to us. But we say that people might leave if we talk about those things. Well, guess what? They already left. And for people who hadn't left previous to the last two years, the pandemic has become their excuse and they're gone. And they aren't likely coming back. You see, friends, there's no going back to normal, whatever that was. The church experience of your childhood is just that. It's the past. And then we fear that we won't be affirmed by people who don't fear God. And maybe this is the weirdest one ever. You know, just, just like the Philistines were unloving and God-hating and violent people who were looking to progressively take down God's chosen, Every day we are confronted by the thoughts and screams of a multitude of people who do not fear God. And the thing is, we want people to like us. And you know, that's natural. But that's also different from being good witnesses. We find ourselves being gaslighted by their booming voices into thinking that we are the guilty ones, that it's unloving for us to stand up to them and take them down. And then we fear calling out the lies and the half-truths of the misguided secular culture. In 2020, a pastor from the denomination I grew up in prayed in a very powerful public platform in the name of a Hindu God, and then followed up with a closing that suggested that the word amen is somehow a sexist declaration. Sowing confusion. Social media feeds are full of these bold warriors who are slinging rocks at each other over this week's new political hashtags. The idea is that you get in line for my giant and against my enemy's giant, or you risk being canceled or dead to me or irrelevant or whatever. And then you might have your home, your business, your reputation, your career or, career, or your national capital ransacked, or worse, you, you might risk being seen as being on the wrong side of history. Sowing disconnect. Atheists and anarchist ideologies are being pressed into church book studies and Jesus for President banners are being carried into marches exalting our favorite politicians. While the armies of God's chosen people meekly change our profile pics to whatever slogan, color, or ribbon is called for and we weakly line up with whatever we think might keep the giants at bay, sowing fear of principle. We work much harder these days of being politically informed, or at least politically opinionated, than we do at being literate in and living out the values of the kingdom of God. And then the lost world lectures to us to trust science until science gets chopped down by feelings that don't line up with solid data more sowing of confusion. 
You see, the broken world around us can't agree on who has the right to live and who decides that right and who has the right to dignity and who ought to be loved and who ought to be hated. And church, you know what? We have the answer. My pastor, Brent Hodges, expresses it really well. He says, there's a deep problem that politics, education, social programs, and wokeness cannot solve. Jesus is still the answer. He always was and always will be. The keys to the kingdom of heaven are ours. What we bind on earth and what we loose on earth. You see, we can take down the gates of hell, but instead we fall like a stack of pancakes in the face of adversity if our spine is weak. Now we all start weak. Most of us, by the grace of God, are gonna walk or crawl or be carried into the community of Christ weak and weary and beaten down by the sin that attacks us from within and from without. It's like a baby's spine. You know, it grows and strengthens first to roll over and then sit and then crawl and then to get up and walk and run. And courage, just like a baby's backbone, is developed. We start as infants in the faith and we start with limited understanding and strength, but we cannot afford to stay that way. If we do, we are of no use to anyone else. We might as well play soccer on Sunday. The church instead should surround, encourage, and hold one another accountable for living out these days. Help each other learn to stand strong. So then how do we fight our fears of the wrong things? How do we grow a massive, courageous spine? How do we fight what comes against the kingdom of God? It's not like we can just go slinging rocks. But there's an answer in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. Paul writes, Though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You see, the church doesn't need the latest weaponry technology to kill people. We already have the weapons that bring life to people, the word of God, the fellowship of the believers, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ and the prayers of the saints. And from these things, we are built up with a massively, extremely strong core. These will bring about the action of faith, the assurance that the battle is God's. Oh yeah, true discipleship is scary and that's normal. Even Jesus got scared when he wore human skin. Listen, church, every day is a moment of truth. The Philistines keep coming back to confuse us and they question God's authority in our lives and truly they are annoying. And they will bring the latest weaponry and they will aim it straight at us as disciples of Christ. But we need not be baffled. We have the arms to pull down the strongholds, to slay the giants and everything that brings itself against the knowledge of God. We can make the Philistines run for the hills. I mean, there's no question who wins. God's bringing the victory. No weapon formed against us will prosper. So it's time for the church to stand up. Hear the end of the story. 1 Samuel 17, 48. When the Philistine drew nearer to meet David, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. And so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, striking down the Philistine and killing him. There was no sword in David's hand. And then David ran and stood over the Philistine. He grasped his sword, drew it out of its sheaths and killed him. And he cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. 
Stand up for Jesus. The strife will not be long. This day the noise of battle, the next the victor's song. To him that overcometh a crown of life shall be. He with the king of glory shall reign eternally. And so, beloved friends, this brings us to the close of today's episode. So thanks for joining us. Once again, be sure to check out our website, ancientpathministries.org. Like and follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram at Ancient Path Ministries. This is Pastor Kevin Job for Ancient Path Ministries, La Iglesia Volviendo a la Senda Antigua. We look forward to seeing you next time. Que Dios te bendiga mucho. Go be the church. <laughs>